Hey, 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 it's your friend Mayor K wishing you a great day. And thank you for tuning into the Great Day Podcast. Now, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment the podcast. I release new episodes every Monday and Thursdays, twice a week. More Great Day Podcast episodes coming your way. So don't be sure to subscribe. It goes a long way. And I want to thank you for your support. Now, in the spirit of thanks, I want to thank Chloe Valerie. She's a good friend of mine and a brilliant human being, an incredible dancer, hashtag daybreaker. She joins us on the podcast today to talk about her curriculum, her startup called Theory of Enchantment, which teaches social and emotional learning for all ages. It's shared in schools and in companies. And of course, we jump into the current social climate that's taking place right now around social justice. Uh, I do welcome you to enter this conversation with an open mind and open heart while practicing empathy. There's much to be learned, much to be gained, a lot of value in this podcast conversation. So I do thank you once again for joining, for tuning in, and jumping into this conversation with Chloe. Let's have a listen. Like super flowy, but also informal, which is good. No, it is. It is. I, I usually like to do these. Um, it's hard to say if we're still in lockdown or in quarantine or not with I don't yeah. know what the world has decided, but like um, I, I usually like to do these in person, but uh, with all the craziness that's going on, uh, it's 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 been a great way to do this over Zoom. So for those who are listening in, um, I do apologize if the quality is a bit off than what you're used to, but uh, it's well worth a listen because we got today a very special friend. Chloe Valerie is here with us. Um, I'm not going to box you in, in with different types of titles and such, but just a very well-educated, well-spoken incredible dancer, uh, <laughs> <laughs> mischief maker. And, uh, yes. Yeah, Wait, friend. I totally forgot that we have hung out at Daybreaker. Yeah. 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 And multiple, multiple types I, of dance floors. On, yeah. On the dance floor, on the boat. Um, yeah. I totally yeah. forgot that. Wow. Yeah. And, and you, you were, you're committed. I just popped in a couple of times. You actually became one of those like mischiefers or. I did. I was like a volunteer for a couple of months. I like got up at like four in the morning and some way yeah. to, you know, whatever to help set everything up. Such so, a yeah. wild thing. Like for those who, for those who do not know, actually we had the founders of Daybreaker on the podcast and I oh, definitely cool. recommend you check out a Daybreaker. They're in like 20 something cities. Uh, obviously once things open up, they'll be hosting them again. Now they're doing it over line, but Daybreaker is all about waking up early seven to nine dance party, six to sevens yoga. Um, you're t- you, I mean, you're fascinated with brands. So like what, yeah. how do you think Daybreaker, right? I mean, they're a community, they built a community. They're getting volunteers. They don't pay them to wake yeah. up extra <laughs> early to yeah. take a train to go and give out orange juice. Like what, like, how do you think? Yeah, it's actually, that? it's actually an incredible question uh, to think about. Like as I build my company, um, given that I was one of those people who was like so committed that I woke up early in the morning to right. for free. I think for me personally, I just, I was just so thrown in a good way by the experience that Daybreaker was that I had to know how, like the mechanics of it. Mm. Like I had to, I had to know like how they set it up, how they organize, um, just as a, just as a way of learning that. Right. Sort of like a free internship. Kind of like spark that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get it, get into the, get into the belly of the beast. Exactly. Um, I'm here to just help out. I'm going to take all your <laughs> I'm secrets. Studying, like, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to learn studying. everything. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, just see I, you walking around with a notepad, you know, on the dance floor. Just no, I, I was never that dramatic. But also, I, I never like learned 
every single aspect of it because like obviously there is a paid side of it where the, there are folks who obviously work for Daybreaker and so you know I, I I'm not sure of how they organize or got different uh, companies to wrap their products there like that's a, another intriguing question I would be interested in exploring but yeah just like the literal physical mechanics of setting up the day of Daybreaker is something that I'm really interested in because I'm interested in the use of dance as a as a way to gather people together and to um, inspire people to come like be in spirit with each other. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I I I, I love everything that they're about and um, and uh, and they're doing incredible work. And I love also how they pivoted now with with like over, they're having Zoom parties over the uh, over over this whole like lockdown period as well. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, super excited to get back on there and hope to see you there as well in person Definitely. soon enough. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna try to be there at the post COVID inaugural. Uh... Oh, that's gonna be <laughs> wicked! <laughs> it's gonna be nuts. Oh, it's, it's gonna really, be great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be yeah. But um, so I mean, you did touch base about uh, about your own brand, your own company that you're building, which I want to. I'm very excited to uh, jump into, which is um, the theory of enchantment. But to give those uh, to some people just some context about, you know, who you are, what you are, um, you know, I just want to like just jump in some like pre, like, you know, you are, you grew up in New Orleans, right? Yep. Uh, you got four sisters. Yep. Um, and uh, your middle name is Simone. <laughs> yes. Um, which I totally you really think did you your go, homework. You really did your homework. He literally just did watch one video that talks about who you are. It's a four minute video. Anybody can watch this on YouTube. Uh, unpack. Go check it out. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That is right. 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 So I'm just giving away all my secrets right there. But, but um, but that, but what's what's really interesting is that for a little bit you were um very much focused on going around speaking about Israel and, and uh, a big advocate. And, and, and honestly, I was, I was truly inspired because you knew more about Israel and its history and its politics and, and Zionism more than I do. And I grew yeah. up Jewish and Orthodox and like, so it was, it was, it was, it was a very interesting um, combination. Uh, but, you know, you, did, you, you mentioned how you grew up in this, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a non-Jewish philo-Semitic family. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of a lot of words right there. What is that? <laughs> what what you were like celebrating Shabbos? You were celebrating the yeah, holidays. I was this, doing the most. What's that all about? Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a in a Christian home that was very similar to Seventh Day Adventists as a denomination. So, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, Seventh Day Adventists is a Christian denomination where uh, the attendants go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday. That's why they call themselves the Seventh Day. Um, so the denomination that I grew up in was very similar to that. But in addition to doing that, we also didn't eat pork or shellfish, and we also uh, celebrated all the biblical holy days. So I grew up observing, you know, Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as a Christian. Um, and that created like a natural affinity uh, for Jewish culture and for Israel and Israeli society. And so I naturally gravitated toward that. My interest gravitated toward that uh, in, uh, in college and beyond. So. Yeah, really. Wow, really cool. Do you do you still celebrate any, any of the Jewish holidays? Now that you live in yeah, Brooklyn? of course. Like I've been, uh, you know, you know Rabbi Simcha. Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Simcha Weinstein, absolutely, out in Brooklyn. Shout out yeah. to Rabbi Simcha. Um, Throws those Liddy Hanukkah parties. Yes, yes. So that's actually the shul I frequent for all the high holidays. So I'm usually there for like Yom Kippur and such. But um, and I have a lot of friends in that community as well. So definitely. Yeah, dope. Yeah, he's really he's been really able to um, build, bring people together like in a in the orthodox sort of way, but at the same time very open, very artistic, yeah. um, out of the box, 
great theme parties. Um, yeah, he, and he's just a really funny, good dude. Yeah, um, a good he's friend. Awesome. Yeah. So, so now you're. I mean, so now you're from. So you did go around. You spoke quite a bit about Israel and such, and you pivoted now to f- focus more time on Ethereum of enchantment. Mm-hmm. Um, so. What's interesting uh, to me is that, you know, before I want to go there, I think it's, it's all sort of tied into what's happening now. And I, I love to get your thoughts on it because when I, when I say this, I mean, I'm talking about uh, the protesting, uh, what, you know, what took place on May 25th, George Floyd's death, murder, um, and, uh, and what that sort of sparked now what's going on throughout America. And it yeah. seems like I mean, within, within your theory of Chapman, you do talk about, um, you know, black and white relations. You do bring down a specific story um, between uh, Randy Furness and Aaron uh, Courtney, which um, I will, you know, I want you to uh, obviously talk about. Uh, I mean, if you want, actually, maybe that's a good way to maybe segue into both ideas. Um, sure. Yeah. What what, uh, what is what is the story with Aaron with Aaron Courtney and um, uh, that 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 you bring out in, in the theory of the chapter? So yeah, I feel like maybe I should maybe I should give people a little bit of context first as to what Theory of Enchantment yes. is, just so yes. they have like a, a starting point. So Theory of Enchantment is my startup that I created a year and a half ago, and really, um, the purpose of the Theory of Enchantment is to teach people how to love. Because my major was international studies, and and coming from a background that focused on conflict resolution, you know, I discovered that there was a there was a framework with the explicit language of how do you combat conflict but there was no existing framework asking a specific question, how to get people to learn how to love. Um, and so mm. because this was lacking, um, I, what, I worked at the Wall Street Journal for a year uh, with Brett Stevens and worked on a thesis paper, really trying to crack this question of how to get people how to love, how to learn how to love. And um, I decided to study pop culture um, as a result of, answer, of asking that question because pop culture showed me what people were already in love with. So we gravitated toward as a culture from Disney to Nike to many different cultural influencers. Um, And so the common denominator that I found across all these different aspects of pop culture that I studied was that um, a lot of cultural influencers in the zeitgeist create content where their audience sees themselves and their potential reflected in the content. And that's why we love them. So like Nike sells, you know, a tennis shoe, why do I need a tennis shoe? What's so important about the tennis shoe? Well, Nike is such a popular brand, not because it sells tennis shoes, but because of the idea that's attached to the tennis shoe, which is that you can just do it. Just sure. do it, meaning you can overcome any obstacle that you want. And that's what actually separates it from maybe generic uh, tennis shoe brands. They might be saying more, selling more or less the exact same product, but people aren't really buying the product. They're buying, they're buying more into the idea of the product. Um, and so I, I discovered all of this and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So basically you have to create a framework that, that reiterates to people that they have the potential. They have unlimited, untapped potential and they can always rise to the occasion. Um, read a book called Enchantment by Guy Kawasaki, the former marketing director of Apple. Um, and I, I really hung on to that word. Um, it also is associated with Disney. Um, so, so I came up with this theory of enchantment um, and then I, I defined it um, with the use of three principles um, to, to guide any difficult conversation, any form of interpersonal conflict, whether it's racial or otherwise. Um, and the three principles are treat people like human beings, not political abstractions, criticize to uplift and empower, never to tear down, never to destroy, through everything you do in love and compassion. 
And then after that, you know, I, I sort of lectured on this for two years and kept getting this feedback that this framework was not just important for conflict resolution on an international level, but also for local conflict, for interpersonal conflict, for conflicts in schools and things like that. And someone suggested to me that I expand upon what I have and create a full course. So I ended up creating a full course. So now the theory of enchantment is a 25 lesson course that really teaches people how to love, how to have a healthy relationship with themselves so they can have a healthy relationship with others. Um, and the cool, unique aspect about it is that it teaches really rich texts um, alongside things that, that society doesn't necessarily consider to be like rich in wisdom, but I consider it to be rich in wisdom, which is pop culture. Pop culture! Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah so like I teach Nike ads alongside with, you know, writings by James Baldwin, for example. Um, wow. The story I tell in the demo, which is the story that you brought up, which is relevant to our national conversations happening right now, um, the story of Randy Furness and Aaron Courtney, um, and it really sort of indicates the, the power of the third principle rooting everything you do in love and compassion, even when you're encountering someone who's engaging in malevolent behavior. So just to be, you know, really quick, basically at the University of Florida, there was a white nationalist who came to speak a couple years ago. This guy, Randy Furness, at the time identified with the white nationalist movement. He had Nazi signs all over his t-shirt. Uh, he wanted to go see him speak, but there was a protest uh, that ensued outside of the, of the talk. And so he had to walk through the sea of protesters to get through the talk. And once he got like within the protesters, a lot of people started punching him in the face, cursing him out, spitting on him, shoving him. Um, until at some point, this African-American guy by the name of Aaron Courtney saw him and didn't know what to do because he was seeing someone who hated him for his skin color for the first time. Um, but he was moved in that moment to hug him. So he actually hugged him. And it, when he did, it was like the universe kind of stopped for a right. moment. Yeah, um, it's pretty wild. Yeah, so he hugged him and he pulled him close and he asked him, why do you hate me? Very simply, just like straight up, like, why do you hate me? Um, and at that point, Randy Furness didn't know what to do because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sort of <laughs> confronted <laughs> with the person that he's supposed to off. hate. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. This, ob this person who's supposed to be the object of his contempt is like showing him love, which is not what he expected. Yeah. And so he... Plot twist. Hugs him. Yeah, total, total plot twist. So he ends up actually hugging him back. Mm. and responding by saying i don't know and like what a what a revelation that is in that moment what a revelation for for both randy Furness and aaron courtney and the, the sort of mob that surrounded them right like um and so that ended up sparking a series of conversations between the two gentlemen um and also other members of the african-american community and randy Furness since then has disavowed his ties to the white nationalist movement um and it it's really tremendous yeah, and it really sort of like, I think it indicates the importance of seeking the depth of things and understanding that things aren't always what they seem. Because one of the things I also teach in the theory of enchantment is the fact that like Randy Furness, if you were to look into his uh, backstory, was many times throughout his life suicidal, um, which mm. makes sense. There's actually a lot, there's actually a, a thread of suicidal ideation uh, in a lot of supremacist groups. Because yeah. what ends up happening is folks who feel a sense of worthlessness are easily exploited by groups they wanna, that to give them a sense of belonging and give them something to make them purpose. Feel yeah, exactly. Right. So now, now I mean, now perhaps it's it's maybe cloaked in some other type of way. But the fact is, now we're like in this in this 
there's a there's a craziness there's a there's a frustration there's a pain there's um a lot of outlandish behavior there's this there's a lot of chaos so to speak um that's actually happening and it seems like there's like this divide between black and white again um something that seems like it's been coming up once or twice i do want to say um openly that like I'm a little uncomfortable, like maybe naturally just bringing this up because I am sort of yeah. the, the, the hashtags are being like, listen and learn and, you know, yeah. like, know, know your place and like what. Yeah. So it's sort so it's like I'm, I'm trying to balance or just I just want to have honest conversation. And um, I find you to be someone who's honest, open and uh, non-judgmental, non-judgmental. So I know a lot of people who may be listening to this podcast may feel certain views of mine, may either feel differently. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it just, it just open. I think only a lot of something will gain out of this. So, yeah. um, yeah, so I, I appreciate it. And I, and I also appreciate it because I do feel like what you're doing now, what you committed your life to, or at least this chapter of your life to of theory of enchantment really brings out, it's not just what's beautiful about it. It's not just necessarily a class, uh, a course just for children in middle school. Sure. It's, it's yeah. it covers, it could cover bullying, which I'm, you do discuss, but also could cover, yeah. you know, something as, you know, grown up or, or not um, as, as racism and, and what's going to take place today. So that being said, what I, I do find myself in, in a place of, you know, sort of confusion and uh, of what is right, what is wrong, size, and somehow politics, of course, snuck their way yeah. into this now because it seems like if I choose one side or the other, um, size of perhaps Black Lives Matter marching um, racism or all lives matter, everybody is supposed to, you know, deserves respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to dumb it down to this, these few sentences, but it's either Republican or liberal. It's mm-hmm. this agenda or that agenda. Um, how how do you how does one maybe it's a broad but how does one d- decipher and, and and through all the noise where's a good place to start to sp- figure out the facts uh i would say that you have to refuse <laughs> this is funny you have to reject the binary so a mm. lot of a lot of I, I think i think quite frankly there's a there are several incentives on the part of you know media conglomerates and other influencers to divide people and to cause discord um, between people. So I think that even as you're navigating, trying to figure out uh, and grapple with the complexity of these issues, that you refuse to allow yourself to get caught up into the binary. Because like what some of of the things that you're describing, like, um, you know, uh, the various quote unquote sides of, of the issue are sort of missing the point. Um, and it's, Im- it's important not to get caught up in that. And it's more important, I think, to try to ask yourself how you can, as, a, as an individual and as a community, how, like, what actions can you take to ensure that, like, there is human flourishing in American society, period. For all Americans, whether that's black and white, rich or poor, cop or civilian, like, that's my starting point, regardless of socioeconomic status, gender, etc. So like any type of message, I think that deliberately attempts to, um, to take away from that is, is something to watch out for. I have no, like I, like I personally identify with the Black Lives Matter movement. I've been to protests a couple of weeks ago here in Brooklyn. Um, the term Black Lives Matter is more of a term than an organization. That's what people also should understand. Like Black Lives Matter is not a, cohesive singular organization it is a slogan to which different groups have attached different meanings and some groups have attached nefarious meanings to that others have attached 
uh, good meanings to that. But it is a it is a catch all slogan um, to it that anyone can sort of like exploit for their own purposes, but also people can can make that mean make that slogan mean what it is supposed to mean. So right, I mean I think it's I important did, I... to like not get not allow this is where branding this is where my like <laughs> obsession with this, <laughs> where branding comes in because i hear a lot of these questions about like um you know black lives matter as an organization and sort of like what they stand for but there is no organization that's what people fail to understand like there is no singular black because black i did matter. hear that i do hear that there is a yeah. single organization they're anti-israel and it's like i post you know i i posted <laughs> the um i mean the sharing articles and I, I posted about it and then people got upset at me for doing that i'm like listen yeah. If there are people out there, you know, of course, again, I, we all say, and there's, I don't think anybody who's seen it says the looting is great. So like putting yeah, that yeah, aside, yeah. Um, if there's, if there's a cry, there's, there's pain. And perhaps sometimes we could say, oh, but a child um, cries for no apparent reason. They're not in pain. They just want something. But yeah. even the fact is, if there's, if there's an emotion there, isn't it worth uh, discovering what that, yeah. why, why that's being said? And where it comes um, from, yeah. Where it's coming from. Where's that source? I mean, that's the way I, I, I'm, that's why I think, and I think also coming at it and saying, but wait a second, what about my pain? What about all that? Good. Yeah. We could talk about that too, but I don't think it's sure. a response to saying that, you know, let's, you know, th this is not, this is not, this doesn't, doesn't hold for itself. There's, there's yeah, there yeah, isn't yeah. something here. It's not real. Look, it's um, not transactional, right? It's not supposed to be transactional. And I think that people have sort of like this whole, like, what about me? it's like a very transactional way of looking at it, which is unfortunate and kind of reflects how atomized we've become as individuals, as members of society. It's like, you don't, if someone is, if someone is mourning, you don't go to the funeral, you, you be with them, you be with that person in their grief. You don't go to them and say, well, you know, I'm also, this also happened to me, you know, a couple right. months ago. Um, so it's not transactional and it's, it's again, people need to understand how branding works and 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 um i think people need to depersonalize things a little bit because when they when people become so attached to certain political identities that 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 any sort of like questioning of that political identity becomes like a threat um like an existential threat then one has to question the nature of their relationship with the political identity because it's it weighs too heavily on one's like sense of self like that's not healthy right so i mean when so you you there is a, a video of you uh talking about how when the, with the michael brown uh, uh case that took place a couple of years ago yeah uh, and it seems like a lot of similarities took place right post there was also looting sure. there was protesting it was it got violent but it was also um you know white cop uh killing a black gentleman um and in the video that you talk about you you sort of sort of say hey let's break this down we want we want to, black people just want to be treated equally yeah. and not, not around the basis of, you know, just because a cop is white, black, you know, the victim is black, then we want more sympathy. And you, and you talk about, you know, how, you know, the, the condescending that takes place around these conversations. Do you feel like, could you mind just maybe explaining what, what that feels like when, when, how, how does the condescending come about in reality in, in through conversation or through action? Um, that's an interesting question, just because I feel like I haven't had to bear the brunt of condescension of that condescending attitude in a long time. Um, I will say that. How did? How have you been? Oh, I, there that? there is an example of condescension on sort of both in, in both sort of extreme wings of politics. Um, I think that 
the left, the, the extreme left blind spot when it comes to race is mistaking the concept of equality with the concept of like almost uh, like servitude. Like I saw a video of uh, white people deliberately and specifically kneeling in front of black people to sort of to sort of pay, to sort of show some kind of deference or pay some right. pay some kind of uh, respect for for um, racism historically speaking. And I just thought that that was so weird and performative and kind of it's not condescending in the sense that it's not like I think they're coming from a good place. Um, but if if you're my equal, there's a difference between blacks and whites kneeling together um to show as a symbol to show solidarity and whites kneeling in front of blacks because they are because we're black right um and so that's not really a show of equality if you're kneeling in front of me you're not my equal <laughs> by definition okay. right so um so that's uh impulse on the hyper left i don't even know if it's hyper left it's just i think people who have who have caught up become caught up a little bit too much in the in identitarian politics from the vantage point of the left. And on the right, the rights, the hyper rights uh, blind spot is its refusal to see error in the American project. So basically there are too many people on the left who believe that America is all evil, is only evil. And there are too many people on the right who believe that America is only good. Um, and so like when, when you hear this language, when you hear a language on the right where it's like, where where it's dismissive of I don't know if you saw Candace Owens's uh, video talking about George Floyd and his and his rap who hasn't his record hasn't? for example uh, yeah mm -hmm. of course like Dave Chappelle brought it up but uh, <laughs> right right yeah. but um what was so striking to me about that was like the level the lack of compassion and a lack of um sort of mercy in her in her uh in her speech and yeah, yet and, and, and yet she speaks of the west in sort of generalized terms um and she speaks of, of men who founded the west um with no regard of like she doesn't condemn them for their sins like she 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 elevates the west as though those who created it were perfect while simultaneously depicting George Floyd, who was clearly imperfect and who clearly made mistakes and who clearly committed bad things as irredeemable almost. And so it's, it's not, it's not, the problem is not that what she said was factually incorrect. The problem is that it was disproportionate and it, and it begs the question like, well, why are you willing to sort of overlook some of the really bad sins of the West and not overlook um, this individual's sins? Um, so I think that both, you know, wings have to be aware of these blind spots and aware of their capacity, like even while they're judging and berating each other, be aware right. of the capacity to descend into. There is a lot of talk around the facts, oh, facts, yeah. facts, numbers, numbers, numbers. And like, yeah. the, I mean, perhaps a fact, I mean, not perhaps, facts don't lie. These numbers don't lie. These charts are pulled out. But I, I, at the same time, I feel like maybe... I'm just an emotional guy, um, but at the same time, but I feel like there's a certain amount of emotion as well. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. there, there is, 
these stuff prep yeah there are facts here 100 percent. but at the same time yeah. there's still a lot of emotional damage you know like yeah i don't i don't really subscribe to this right-wing idea that like the human being is strictly a rational being i highly recommend or or by the way should be a strictly rational being like if you've ever read the work of jonathan Haidt, a psychologist out of nyu he wrote uh the happiness hypothesis and a bunch of other books and he like demonstrates that actually uh the way the brain is structured, reason is actually a slave to our emotions, not the other way around. So we think when we think we're being strictly rational, we're actually not. It's still, it's still all interconnected with our emotional sort of centers in our brain. Um, yeah, and so like emotion is a is not something to be like, and the right does this a lot. I feel like <laughs> emotion is not something to be you know spit upon or looked down upon. To it. it's a very important part of who we are as human beings and the question is not how do we get rid of it but how do we channel it in a positive and healthy way right but what how what did, like i then i watched something like um like morgan freeman saying something about like the more yeah. we talk about race then race exists you know you know let's yeah. let's sort of move on from the conversation and and live life as just like decent human beings and just respect each other yeah the more we talk about something then it brings it into actualization as we speak we create yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I subscribe to that strictly. I'm not familiar with that quote, so I can't speak to it directly. But I'm not sure if I subscribe to that idea strictly. I mean, the fact of the matter is, regardless of the fact that race is a social construct, there are things that happen in reality that are the product of uh, race and, and racism. And so to not talk about it is to simply... It's not an option because to not talk about it is is really to ignore certain problems that do exist within our country. So I don't subscribe to that, but I do subscribe to this idea of being able to talk about race and being able to hold race on the one hand, but also hold this idea of trying to transcend all these qualifying factors that we belong to, whether it's racial groups or socioeconomic groups or you know gender groups. How can we as Americans fashion for ourselves a narrative that enables enables us not to reject sort of the particularism of our communities, but allows us to also simultaneously be able to transcend um, those particulars. And that's a that's a hard balance to strike, but I do think it is possible. So what what do you think next I mean what what are some practical next steps that would you like to see uh, yeah. done in the community in in, in, in the US, but I a and then I guess on an individual level, like someone who's listening, someone um, wants to help or wants to just push this, you know, continue growth. I mean, we, I don't think we can yeah. say I don't want to put words in your mouth, but at least in my perspective, maybe it's my privilege. I don't know, but I'm overstepping. But like <laughs> there, there, it seems like there, I mean, there's a lot of a, a lot of sp like a lot of growth that has taken place um, yeah. over the past, you know, since Honest Abe's days. So like, sure. um, it's not perfect and, and such. But so how can someone wants again to push to help continue be part of that change to keep illuminating the world and showing respect um yeah i i, I do think that one of the things that this, these protests have sort of uh, uh given or sh shown a light on is the issue of police brutality and, the, and police brutality isn't necessarily racialized although in some cases it is um so so the so the left wing the hyper left wing idea that the systematic racism uh, no, not a systematic racism, but the idea that police brutality, uh, this idea of like only paying attention to police brutality when it is racialized is a problem, but also the, mm -hmm. the right wing 
notion that there is no such thing as racialized police brutality is also not true. So like, um, uh, that's why I said, that's why I said like police brutality in a racialized way specifically. So for example, if you remember what happened in Ferguson, uh, with Mike Brown in 2014, yes, of course, the, the courts ruled that it was the case that Michael Brown actually did not have his hands up and was, and was sort of trying to get the gun from the cop, which resulted in what happened. Um, and the right likes to point that out as like, like evidence that this was not racially motivated. But at the same time, the Department of Justice came out with a report that showed that that particular police department was in fact systematically entrenched in racism, like regularly sending out racist emails to each other, to, like totally referring to the community that they were supposed to be policing in very dispar racially disparaging ways. So, so I think that this, this, uh, these protests have raised uh, important awareness and shown a light on both police brutality that happens in a racially specific way um, and police brutality that happens in general. Um, and, and I think that in terms of a policy perspective, there are policies that people can, can support, like ending qualified immunity, um, which was a Supreme Court uh, piece of legislation that was passed, I think, in 1967. And the idea was that we're not going to be able to sue a cop unless there's a precedent for what he did to you. Um, and, the, and the goal of this was to, to stop frivolous lawsuits against the government. But what it ended up ended up happening, uh, what ended up having an effect was basically police officers just got total carte blanche to do whatever they wanted to do, um, and you couldn't you can't sue them because there was no precedent for it. Um, so I think ending qualified immunity is actually a good a good piece of legislation that any American can get around to supporting whether you're black or white, Democrat or Republican. Like it's a very it's a, a it's an American issue, right? Um, so that's a piece of that's a policy or a piece of legislation that I think people can support um, in their districts where they, they vote. I also think just asking yourself the question of like how to reallocate some, some of the money that has been invested in police officers or policing, um, how can that be reinvested in other sources? Because like there's a valid question to ask, does a police officer need to be responding, need to be the person we call when we see um, a homeless person? For example, like is a police officer the right person to call when it's clearly a mental health issue? How can we sort of like redefine what we mean by policing and set up an infrastructure where there are other types of people who have expertise with working with folks in, who are dealing with mental health issues or have expertise working in in homelessness? Um, so it's not a question of like I don't I don't like the term abolish the police because that's that's not honest. That's not actually I mean. In, in places like Minneapolis, I think they're actually considering that, but I don't right. believe in I, mean, I don't believe in abolishing the police. I, I think that's silly. I do I do believe in uh, perhaps in some cases where there are clearly bloated budgets in these uh, <laughs> police officing yeah, insane, uh, yeah, policing. So. I, I do believe in like um, um, decreasing the size of the police force and then reallocating some of that funds to education and things like that. So. Yeah, I, I definitely, I hear that. I definitely agree with that. I think the abolishing uh, is a bit extreme and also uh, there's bad branding level. also, by the way. <laughs> bad, branding. That? bad branding. Bad branding. Oh. Not good branding. No. I agree. They, but they you're right. Me for this. <laughs> and, they're big, and they're big fans of the podcast, so they're going to listen and hopefully reach <laughs> out to you. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's true, though, that when that video came out with um, the police commissioners or 
the union started talking and it was very um you know intense and and, and emotional but I, I and I, you touched on there on the point that like listen no one else wants to take on a bunch of these random like quote unquote random um jobs they called the mm -hmm. police and we're just there doing it around the mental health issues 100 percent they they're it just being bunched up to to this to these people. So yeah. I think relocating a bunch of the budget to to or devising new ways, new groups that can focus on other issues that are beyond just you know enforcement or just certain laws. That's I think quite important. And um, and investing or taking some of that some of those funds into reinvesting into the police officers that to get proper training. I mean, some of the training is it's so short, it's so minuscule. Yeah, it's like They're, two days. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. It's a it's a real joke. Um, I was listening to a podcast with a um, with a marine. He was saying how they're trained eighteen months to go on a six month, you know, uh, uh, mission. Yeah. Where here it's like about I think they officially need to go some training up to maybe three months or even less for yeah. like every year. You know, for every twelve yeah. months. So I mean, it's and also there's no of course as, I mean this is very obvious, but there's no standard to like physical fitness and anything like that. So like. I didn't even um, know that. There's no standard for physical fitness, and <laughs> yeah, there isn't. Yeah, there, I think once you pass a certain make test, any sense. It doesn't make it. I mean, have have you not seen certain cops That's who? For, yeah, like there you go. So, yeah. the, I, so I think it's maybe holding up a mirror to certain aspects that are just be taken for granted now, just are so deep rooted that we have to like wait a second. Why is this sure. so? Um, but I hear you. So to really bring it together to one question, and and you touched on this in in through enchantment. What is the difference between getting people to stop hating each other and to start loving each other? Yeah, I think like um, I think like Dr. King would describe it as the the absence of the absence of tension versus the presence of like compassion. Like just because you're not hating someone doesn't mean you're actually actively caring for that person um, or concerned for that well being that person's well being. Um, and if you're not, then uh, as citizens in a democracy, your democracy yeah. becomes susceptible to corruption, I think, as a, general, as a general rule of life. Whereas if you're actively committed to yourself and to each other um, as fe your fellow citizens, as neighbors, as communities, um, you, you, you demonstrate that in the way you treat each other, but you also reflect that in the way that you try to be a, uh, engaged in civics and uphold your democracy. And I would also say like to your earlier question, which I didn't actually answer, which I'm gonna be a little bit selfish in answering, um, when you said like, what can individuals do? I personally think everyone should take and enroll in the Theory of Enchantment course. Whoa, shameless <laughs> plug. Shit. It's, it's right. true, it's true. Well, well, say, so Chloe. Well, I mean, you're you're bringing it up, I, and honestly, I'm not gonna be biased here because you're on it, uh, your friend, and you're on the podcast. It, it, you, you definitely you put together something very, something very magical and something quite enchanting. But why? Wh how so? You know how? Yeah. What Fair would question. that force principle? You know, you you briefly touched on the three principles, but like, what what would that do? Well, how would that change, um, or illuminate the person? Yeah, I think that a lot of problems in America right now are stemming from individuals, communities, entire groups of people who actually lack a sense of self worth. Um, and this is like across the board. I think that we've we've lacked like our we've lacked the locus of an, uh, an internal locus of control a way to like derive meaning and purpose from life and now we're like frantically searching for our different outlets from which we can derive meaning whether that's uh, pol especially political 
um, where we're seeing everything as political now, which is really an indication of actually the decay of a, of a society. Everything is political, nothing is strictly personal. Um, and so in order to change that, theory of enchantment tries to first teach people how to be in relationship with themselves and to have, have a healthy relationship with themselves first. Um, so the first third of the course is like that kind of self-work, understanding that as a human being, you're imperfect, not learning not to overcompensate for your imperfections because so much conflict happens when we overcompensate for our imperfections and our insecurities, understanding the role that parental baggage might play in the shaping of your life. Again, not overcompensating from it and realizing that everyone deals with that to a certain extent. Um, and learning to, to love yourself and understand your potential. So that's the first you know, part of theory of enchantment. And then the remaining part is now that you know about yourself, now that you've understood and come to terms with yourself, now you're ready to be in a healthy relationship with others because you know that the emotional baggage and insecurities that you're dealing with is also what other people are dealing with. You can seek right. the depth of things and respond in a way that's far more holistic. Um, than if you were only judging by the superficial. And there's like, there's like, you know. I love that. I love that. You touched on something that I, that I did yeah. love and stuck, stood out for me because um, both of us, I mean, I, I, I'm in the world of film, film and you started off, you know, as a major mm -hmm. in film. And, and yeah. for those who haven't, I mean, do check out uh, Chloe's uh, films on, online. I mean, you, you, you were part of some really great productions. But um, that being said, there is this, this, the terminology in, in the film world called, you know, breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. which is when a character sort of, you know, there was like this imaginary wall, which, which is the audience. And then like use the example, which is true like in the office where they talk directly to the camera, talking to the audience, yeah. it's called breaking the fourth wall. But you also turn that and use that very cleverly um, in the, in theory of enchantment as, as breaking the fourth wall when it comes to, I think under, once you understand self and understand where people's reactions are coming for, from, you could react from yeah. a much more, deeper and 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 special place yeah so i yeah i, I uh, repurposed breaking the fourth wall from my own needs and theory of enchantment um <laughs> i love it i love that comment i love that it was great i was like oh, you got me hooked right there <laughs> so yeah in the context of theory of enchantment breaking the fourth wall is when you become aware that the emotional baggage that informs your behavior is also informing another person's behavior so that like if you know that if you if when you get insecure, you act defensive, and someone is acting insecure in front of you, you can then begin to ask, or if someone is acting defensive, excuse me, in front of you, you can then begin to ask, what well, is this person feeling insecure? Is that why they're acting in this way? Um, and how can I respond in a way that alleviates that for them or, or helps contribute and helps them understand that like, there's, there's no reason for them to feel insecure. Um, so yeah, it's a very, uh, I think it's a pretty magical tool of like understanding human behavior. You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And you even, you, I mean, which is all about, you bring in some pop culture there and you, and you, and you bring in out like Jay-Z talking about his, his time growing up, you know, uh, in his neighborhood and being asked, you know, what you're looking at and like looking, you know, and yeah. being confronted with this, you know, which once or twice I've been even asked, you know, just walking down the street, like, you know, you just yeah. catch eye contact with somebody and, you know, in that moment, I would, wouldn't realize what's going on there, but the defense is just really coming about like, you know, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be yeah. seen in their hurt. They don't want to be seen in their pain. Um, and, and that could, and so the opposite effect is sort of like the bully who at home perhaps is having issues, but so on the outside, he comes out being strong and, and, yeah. and, and, and bullyish, but really deep down, it's just, you know, a kid who just wants to be hugged and loved. It's an overcompensation, right? It's all, like it's so much, so many human, uh, so much, so many of our problems come when we overcompensate, but like that's, that's a mechanism that we use to, to, 
to deal with a lot of the things that we have to navigate as human beings. So. Is this something that you, uh, you know, just figured out later on in life as you were, you know, adulting, or is this something that was brought up from, you know, from a young age from your parents that you have some sort of like a, a, a mature emotional intelligence as you grow as a child? That's, it's a funny question. It's the first time I've heard someone use adulting in a sentence like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps uh, just where I'm at in my life, yeah. No, it's cool. I definitely think that my, the upbringing that I received made me realize that like, I was, that the, the past was always present. Um, I was fully aware of history just like like a lot of world history a lot of elements of world history growing up because of the education i received i was aware of like cultural paradox being able to exist in many different cultural spaces and not belonging to one singular cultural space but actually belonging to all cultural spaces so the ability to sort of like weave in and out um of different overlapping uh areas and have overlapping interests and passions um and and see how those overlapping areas actually converge um, I think contributed to a, a, a certain kind of emotional maturity. Wow, that's great. So, what what what's next for the theory theory of enchantment? How do you, what what's what projects are you cooking and working on now? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, it's crazy because like as soon as COVID nineteen happened, I started meditating for an hour every day. And, Whoa, um, yeah, that's incredible. That's a, yeah. wow. Are you using an app or just something that you just sit down on? I'm using. On I'm using insight timer. Um, it's very, it's like very simple. It has like preset sounds if you want to use that. But lately I've actually been doing it to just silence. Um, Cause I knew as soon as COVID-19 hit, I knew I was like, okay, so now the world is going through, it's going to go through cognitive dissonance. Um, cognitive dissonance is like basically what happens when what you thought the world was um, ends up not being what it actually is. And so if you, if you don't have the emotional maturity and the and the tool set to be able to navigate that, you can you can go crazy, <laughs> right? Uh, Say the know, least, yeah. Your rituals, if, that, if that's what you want to call it. Your rituals are upended. You know your your daily routines are no longer the things that give you meaning are no longer there. So you have to create your own rituals that that allow you to adjust to the new reality so i knew i needed to like calm down my nervous system so i started doing that but i say that to say i also knew or i also had a feeling that like because of what happened theory of enchantment would blow up because because this is the kind of crisis that theory of enchantment is meant to um so help solve essentially and help heal so um so yeah i've been i've been really excited uh, for a lot of like potential projects and partnerships that have come my way in the past in the past month because of everything that's happening with regards to the the question of race and social unrest um, mm. you know I was able to I was able to moderate a really cool conversation with um, these guys who are prominent African-American members of Major League Baseball a couple weeks ago which is really cool um, I'm in talks with a lot of schools right now and a lot of uh, companies as well that are looking to get uh, theory of enchantment as a professional development training so i'm just uh just trying to ride the wave and study the ship and be prepared to to serve as many people who come my way uh and if like there are any individuals who are listening who, who want to check out theory of enchantment they can check it out theoryofenchantment.com there's a there's a section for individuals to enroll there's a section for teachers to check out as well so yeah it's really cool i love it i love it i love it chloe thank you so so much for uh 
jumping on the podcast with me here today. I really appreciate you. And where can people find you if they want to just follow what you're up to on a personal level? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at cvaldery. I also follow Theory of Enchantment also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, We have an awesome newsletter that comes out every week, so be sure to sign up for that. It's free for all. Also, we have resources, free resources for teachers on the Theory of Enchantment website. We have a Disney reader that you can download that teaches... uh, teaches how to use Disney in the classroom to teach social emotional learning. So feel free to check that out. Awesome sauce. Corey, <laughs> keep shining your light. You're incredible. I always walk away inspired and learn something new from, from our engagement. So thanks for, thanks for coming to the Great Day Podcast. Thank you for having me.